and welcome to today's webcast. My name is Dwayne Golden, and I'm happy here to share with you a community story. And we're going to begin with a Ronald Johnson of Harrisburg, PA. And we're going to hear all about what it means to be born with sickle cell disease and yet be a sibling of those with sickle cell trait and have one of your parents have sickle cell disease and another with sickle cell trait. What's that life like from the early stages all the way through adulthood and now well into his late 50s? What's that mean and what's it like? You can hear all about it as we meet Ronald Johnson face to face in an interview. Muhammad is sort of a nice brother. Well, he's sort of the best brother ever in the whole world. <laughs> because he gave me bone marrow. His bone marrow. My brother Muhammad. Mm, I might want to change that world to the universe. Muhammad is the best brother in the whole wide universe. <laughs> Hello and welcome to today's webcast. This is Dwayne Golden and I'm happy to be here with you today to share with you more community stories beginning with Ronald Johnson. You don't want to miss this. We had an opportunity to walk through what it is like in the life of someone with sickle cell disease and or a family member of someone with sickle cell disease and in this case both. Let's take a look and see what happened in this amazing interview with Ronald Johnson. All right, it's Dwayne Golden, and I'm here today on behalf of the Sickle Cell Council as a part of a trend that we want to do to reduce the lack of awareness that goes on with sickle cell disease. And as I talk about this, I want you to note, we're telling community stories, and these community stories will inform you and bring you up to speed on just what's going on with sickle cell disease so that you can certainly have a greater awareness on how you can impact your community by reducing the number one blood-related hereditary disease in the country. I'm here today with uh, Ronald Johnson. Ronald Johnson, not only as a board member of the Sickle Cell Council, but he's also one who has sickle cell disease himself and grew up as a partial caregiver because his own father had it. But I don't want to steal the story. Ronald, how are you today? I'm fearing. I'm fearing doing this dampness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Ronald and I, I've, I've learned that we have a special bond. We're born in the same year. And so uh, we got ourselves a little bond here, but we also <laughs> bond around this idea of sickle cell disease. And today we're going to learn about his story. Growing up in a home where your parent has sickle cell disease and you also have it yourself. Ronald, talk to me. You were at an age when you identified, you learned that you were different than your siblings and some of the other kids. What was that like for you? And about what age was it that you identified to have sickle cell disease? Uh, I guess it must have been about seven because my siblings, I was raised by a single mother. Okay. And she's the one with the trait. And she, you know, when she worked and I was in a crisis, her and my two siblings had to sit up with me all night. As a matter of fact, they had to buy this uh, reclining rocking chair so I could be sitting on their lap while they rocked me all night to try to ease the pain. Wow. And you know, most people aren't even aware that not just having uh, sickle cell disease 
um, is the story. Most don't know of the continued emergency room visits. Many don't oh. know of what it would mean to not just be up all night, but now to be on IV meds and or potential strokes. They're not aware of that. So this is really key for a youngster sitting in your mother and sister's lap. That's powerful within itself. But let's talk a little bit about a, a day at school. You're in first, second, third grade or somewhere in there. And you see all the other kids are being able to be out and play and so forth. But you've been having a tough day, maybe um, that week or that weekend or something. And yet you can't really do it like others. What was that like when you realized that you were a little bit different and sometimes you couldn't do the same thing? Well, it, it was really rough for me because my mother back in those days had to go to the school and explain what sickle cell was, that anything could cause me to go into a crisis. So if I overexerted myself, you know, they would only allow me to move around for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Then I had to sit for an hour or two. <laughs> so it was really different for me. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's interesting is we have people right now who are watching this, whether it's on YouTube or whether watching it on Facebook or watching it live, and they don't know something. They didn't understand when they hear that a child has sickle cell disease or an adult what that means. It's interesting to me, most of all, Ronald, that the number of people that didn't even did, don't understand that with sickle cell disease, going back even the year you were born, it was not likely to survive beyond the age between 30 and 40. It just wasn't likely. And th we thank God for the advancements of med medicine, but at the same time, new innovations that help give, bring someone relief and reduce the need for some transfusions and uh, uh, ER visits. Talk to me about this. As a teenager in high school, maybe you wanted to play sports with other kids. Maybe you did get to get to. And, um, but you had to do things a little bit differently when you got home and you couldn't take the ice baths or I don't know. Talk to me about that. What was it like for you as you began to get into the adolescent years and now oh, you have sickle cell disease and you have limitations? Those were the rebellious years uh -oh. because if you weren't in, if you weren't in my circle, yeah. you actually didn't know. And then I would just disappear because I was in crisis and I would come up with some cockamamie excuses, you know, because remember, I was born in the heart of the stigma. If you would turn the dictionary to stigma, you liable to see my face uh -oh. <laughs> because I, I didn't let nobody know what was going on. That's why I run my mouth so much now. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I think none of us are exempt from those teenage, those teenage rebellious years. But in the same token, you had the, teen, the, the struggle of your identity as a teenager, which means being rebellious and doing some things and like you're saying, using it for excuse, but you also still had the reality of the disease and what it meant to go through painful crisis. By this time, by your teenage years, it's different for all patients. Uh, had you experienced any uh, surgeries by this point or were you at all receiving continual transfusions? Talk to us about that. Let what was your uh, clinical experience I was, like? I was receiving everything. Um, I, I thought the hospital was my second home. You know, okay. I was in and out so much. And then it would be to the point where I just got tired and I laid at home a lot of days in horrific pain and wouldn't refuse to go to the hospital, which did a disservice to myself. You know, because my blood count would drop all the way down low. And then I, when I ended up in the hospital, there was transfusion after transfusion. And it just went on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's all kinds of different things that pop up 
in an interview like this, and I want each of you, anybody listening to be aware of it, you know, if a person was transfusion dependent before 1989, they were subject and likely to receive blood that wasn't screened for specific things. It would not be uncommon for the average sickle cell patient who was older than the age of 40 to have already been exposed to hepatitis C and <laughs> HIV and other things. So there were all kinds of other risks involved, which really I think is important for us as we listen to you today, Ronald, is to, to note that you are uh, not just what we consider a, a beneficiary of modern day medicine, but a miracle and blessed to still be here. As we know, there are many others, as I'm thinking of some personal friends who are no longer with us, who struggle with the disease, but you are a champion as a board member serving to help serve the community that deal with sickle cell. Uh, I want to talk about something different. You, you know, you, okay. as I understand it during our, our workup that you are this grandson of apostolic ministers. And because of that, you ended up on the weekends, leaving every weekend to go down south and then come back up and be ready for school the next week. What was that like, mm -hmm. sickle cell? You know, it was kind of rough, you know, because when we got down there, I couldn't do anything. Everybody mm -hmm. else, all the rest of the kids were out playing and I was stuck up underneath a skirt, you know, because they didn't, you know, they didn't know what would cause me to go into a crisis. Right. So they was real particular about what I could and couldn't do. So, I, you know, and I retained a lot of information and they made sure that I would be able to handle and take care of myself in case something was to happen to them. And, you know, they instill God and family values, but, you know, I didn't get to see everything else the kids did, you know, because yeah. I was stuck up underneath the home. You know, there was an apple tree in the backyard. Mm -hmm. I'd have to be in charge of collecting the apples after the rest of the boys climbed up the tree and shook the tree. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, Ronald, that, um, you know, many would think about traveling itself in the old days. You know, I'm born the same year as you, and I remember going south a lot. My 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 family lived in Florida, and so when we would go south mm -hmm. for, for weddings or funerals, it was not uncommon that we couldn't even use the bathroom in certain places going going down, um, because they wouldn't it wouldn't serve African Americans. So I'm curious, what was it like for you traveling to the southern oh, states, um, late '60s, oh. early '70s, when you were going into crisis and you needed a physician? Talk to us. Did you have any experiences with that kind of thing? Uh, uh, normally those, the physicians in the South weren't like up here in the North. I happened to have landed a great, uh, child physician, a pediatric physician up here by the name of Helen Stein. She okay. was on second and Kelker, I believe it was. Okay. And she, you know, she was really, um, interested in my, my being. And even to, when I went into the hospital, you know, they, that's who, that's who would come in and treat me and tell them what to do. And back then, of course, in those days, their answer to everything was phenobarbital. Yes, that's right. And it didn't it didn't even touch the pain for real, but it did help, you know. So Yeah. But um, um going up and down that highway, you know, just stop on the side of the road. <laughs> you know, and it was my first experience, you know, with racism. Mm -hmm. You know, as a little boy, you know, because you couldn't go into certain places because there were still certain parts of towns where, you know, you just weren't allowed to go unless your family was going there to work. <laughs>
And even then, even then, you weren't using those bathrooms, uh, from what I remember. No, and no. So, mm -mm. yeah. You know, what's it, what, what I love is to hear that our community can get the validity behind more than just the name of a disease and more the fact that they understand cells are sickled. There's so much more. So um, I don't want to become too uh, uh, technical or any of those things, but for those of you listening, where one has sickle cell disease, it changes everything. The landscape changes. A typical day in the winter, a typical swim at the public pool, um, a typical day when you're, everyone else is getting ready for the game and you play for the same team, it's a different landscape. What happens is with these cells that are sickled, they're, they get sticky and they won't navigate through your body the way that your other cells will. And so when someone has this experience, you have to understand it creates great pain as these cells kind of clog up and so forth. And which the challenge really begins when, when someone looks at you, they don't see it. For Ronald, for you, my brother, I know it must have been horrible for people to look at you and say, what? he must be faking it. I mean, how's he in pain? We, you know, they couldn't identify with it. So this kind of an interview is important. And I thank you for giving us your yeah. time. And yeah. um, did you play any high school sports or, or even intramural uh, no. anything at all? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, in my younger years, you know, um, people know this as the invisible and forgotten disease. But when you're really into a painful sickle cell crisis, yeah. oh, that's when they can really see because, you know, your, your whole skin color changes, your eyes get the jaundice, you know, um, it just hurts for people to even walk around you yeah. and they know it. So hence when someone would come to the front door for me, my family would shield them and just tell them that I was, wasn't feeling well today and, or I was in the hospital, but they never gave no real information. Remember we back talking about in the, in the late sixties, early seventies, yeah. where the stigma was real. You know, they didn't talk about certain things and certain things weren't for kids ears. <laughs> you know, 100% we, correct. You're hearing it right here. Mm -hmm. The personal stories of Ronald Johnson and what it was like to grow up in a home where his mother had sickle cell trait and she was a single parent, but his father had sickle cell disease and he himself has sickle cell disease. And we're learning all about what was like to grow up that way now. After we take a break to hear a word from our sponsors, I want you to take note. This young man had to go off and begin to find work and find work beyond primary education and be able to hold down a job with sickle cell disease. You'll hear it right here. This is Dwayne Golden and Ronald Johnson. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. Once again, this is Dwayne Golden here with our special guest today, Ronald Johnson. And we're learning all about what it means to grow up with sickle cell, someone in the home with sickle cell, but in Ronald's specific case, he has sickle cell disease and his, mo his, mo her, his mother had sickle cell trait and his father also one of sickle cell disease. And what did this mean for the family? What did it mean for him specifically? We've been learning. We've heard about his childhood years and his adolescence. And now we're gonna talk a little bit more about something that's gonna hit a little bit more closer to home. In a year where we all are getting past COVID-19, and it's challenging enough with someone who has all the health in the world. What, Ronald, today, we're going to talk a little bit about now, for you, you're out of high school. What do you do? Where do you go from there? Do you go get a job? Or are you going to college? What's going on with you? And how, where, what role does sickle cell disease play 
in your life at this time period? Well, um, you know, I've had various jobs right out of high school because I didn't graduate per se walking across the stage. Okay. I went, I, I, I left school at the age of 16 okay. and went to a second chance academy where I obtained my GED. Okay. Then I went, I was going um, going to Headhunters because I had the dream of owning my own uh, cosmetology shop, okay. and that didn't pan out because I kept going into crisis, and then I would be off for certain periods of time, so it was hard to uh, play catch up. So now I'm fully listed as disabled because the older I get, the worse the disease takes on a life of its own. You know, I get that, and so with that. What was the, have you ever had any of these jobs that interfered with your, uh, the sickle cell disease interfered with your progress and growth on that job? Has it, has it ever oh. interfered where you had to take time off, go in the hospital and you had to make sure someone talked to your boss? Did you ever have that kind of situation? Yeah, we, we I had that a lot, you know, um, when, with me having various jobs, you know, if I, you go, go feeling good and go in on a normal day, mm -hmm. you know, Within a blink or a twinkling of an eye, I would be in the midst of a full crisis and don't know how it happened because I tried to pace myself and wouldn't overexert myself, yeah. but it would just come. It would just come and, you know, with, you know, we had no control of when the crisis would hit. Okay. Wow. So I'm imagining that... Um, did you, when you fill out an application, now a lot of people are very uncomfortable with filling out applications because in some ways you lose some of your dignity when you have to disclose information. Many jobs will ask a person, are you a convict? And that if you're a convict, it feels uncomfortable. Many will ask, is there any health related, uh, uh disease that you have or that would make your, make it in, uh, make you unable to perform the task that you're given. So talk to me about that. What was that like for you when you filled out job applications and you went, were going to work for someone? What was it like for you? Did you disclose early on, I've got sickle cell disease, sometimes I'm just not going to make it? How did that work for yeah. you? Did you hide it and have to live under the stress of that? Talk to me. Um, at first, I would put the sickle cell down, but then you weren't gainfully unemployable. So then, you know, I, when I filled out other applications, I just wouldn't, I just would leave it blank. Okay. And then when, you know, I got sick and kept getting sick, they made it seem like I just didn't want to work because they really didn't have no idea. And so finally, it, it, you know, it just had to be, you know, the doctor said that, you know, I wouldn't be able to maintain no job if, you know, if it wasn't certain things that, you know, um, like me just sitting, it would have to be an office like set type of, and, you know, and they would have to work with me on the Dis disability act, you know, so. Yeah, so I can identify with that, my brother. I can tell you that when someone hears about sickle cell disease, they're not thinking about providing for a family. They just think, oh, that's that, that one disease, that one black disease or that one thing where those things are shaped different. They're not think they don't know about what happens when this thing exacerbates. They don't know what it means in the life of someone trying to hold down a job. And then maybe they've had way too many frequent no shows or claims of hospitalizations or verified hospitalizations. And in some cases, many people are unable to hold it down if they did what you do what you've done. And it's normal to want to leave it blank. So you're not 
you don't have that stigma where oh, yeah. he's sickly. Yeah. We have to only give him desk jobs. We can't pay him nearly as much. So <laughs> this is important that you tell this part of the story so that others can hear and know what it means when their coworker has sickle cell disease, what it means when their child has a friend who's on the team with them who has sickle cell disease. And so I appreciate you telling that part of your story. Is there anything else you want to tell us more about the about your employment and or do you have an incident when you've clearly lost the employment because you couldn't keep up because of the impairments of your disease? Yes, um, I even had worked in a fast food restaurant um, the one time and I was doing the dishes and I bent down and when I got back up, I went into a crisis and it was out there off of Eisenhower Boulevard. And so next thing you know, I had to went to the manager and tell him that I got to leave. He didn't understand, you know, even when you came back to work with a, a doctor's excuse, mm -hmm. it didn't seem to matter you know, because they weren't willing to accommodate you. So, and, and then it gets kind of rough. It gets kind of rough when you're trying to stay gainfully employed, so. While you're listening to this re interview, I want you to get this. I want you to understand wherever you are. Don't pause it, don't stop it yet. I want you to check this out. As you hear about what Ronald's going through, understand that this disease is more related to geography than color or gender and things that you might think that are causing it. So if you hear these stories and you hear about this man in the United States, in the North, in central Pennsylvania, understand this is happening around the globe in different places near the Mediterranean, folks that are living in the East. And you will find that in those cases, it's similar stories, but right here we have, we do have a role that we can play as a community by contributing and participating today. I think after hearing you, Ronald, I think of one of the students who are who have sickle cell disease in his uh, elementary school. And just a few weeks ago, we've heard that both parents had COVID and this, they weren't sure what to do with the child because they didn't want to expose him because he's at greater risk. These are things that <clears throat> folks aren't thinking about when they make a contribution. They may believe they're paying for a dinner or they may believe they're paying to walk in a walk-a-thon where their funds go and assist us at the South Central PA Sickle Cell Council. I want you to not only go to the website, learn more about the disease and find out what you can do to contribute. You can contribute using PayPal. You can contribute by finding out if you want to volunteer. You can contribute by maybe you have something you normally would have thrown away and you want to donate it. Find a way that you can make a difference in the lives of the next child, the next generation coming through because there's a lot of them. We can do better as a community with our screening. We can do better as a community at having a listening ear for those of us who employ people. We can do a much better job as we are debating over someone we want to judge who parks close in a handicapped spot who looks healthy when we don't know anything about them. I think we can do a better job as a community. And Ronald, you're doing a great job today at helping us in being able to do that. So remember, go to our website. That is www.scpasc.org where you can find out what you can do to make a difference. Also, stay tuned for a future uh, story, community story that you will hear to be able to participate in and learn more about this. Once again, this is Dwayne Golden and Ronald Johnson. Ronald, we're not done. What I want to do before we go for our next commercial break, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about this idea of, you know, now at your age, we're the same age, so... <laughs> 
um, as a caregiver for your for your mother with sickle cell disease, there are times it's hard for you to care for yourself, and yet you do that, and yet still insist on being a caregiver for her. What is that like for you with sickle cell disease? Please. Well, you know, um, we're five generations in, and so when I go into a crisis, I call the family, I call my sister, and when I call her, she calls everybody else, and then the house fills up. Okay. So they they um, they're doing great because they prepare our meals. They make sure and see if I need anything or she needs anything. And you know, it, it's it was a learning process for them. You know, um, the younger ones. You know, because my nephews and them, they're in their uh, early forties. Okay. And so them and their wives and their family, everybody knows about the sickle cell and how to pretty much you know take care of the both of us. So it, it, you know, it's a blessing that come from a strong foundation like that yeah it sounds like it so i'm curious so how many siblings do you have i have i have um two three brothers and two sisters but you know i don't believe in steps and halves no, so i claim not. everybody yes so <laughs> are you the only one with sickle cell disease of your siblings um Everybody has traits, right? But I'm the only one with the active disease. Besides, I have a niece, and she's in her 30s, and you know she's always at Penn State Milton Hershey. And I've been trying to get her involved with the council for a long time, but I'm still working on her. Okay, all right. So you hear it. Runner is one of five siblings who has the disease, and the others have the trait. I myself have the trait, right? I get that. Now, what's interesting is. A lot of people won't understand the need or the reasoning behind this idea of screening, right? And it's like, what's the big deal? Well, it's interesting, Ronald. With screening, parents have an opportunity to make an intelligent decision. Parents have an opportunity to make a decision that um, can assist them before they have a child and then also help them to be in front of it and learning what things they can do about it so they can be aware of the disease so they can help manage it better. It's no secret that through proper management, right, a, a, a person with sickle cell disease or a child with sickle cell disease has a much greater opportunity to participate in life. Here are some examples for you. I want you to note that currently there are many stars over the last five decades, people of notoriety who have had sickle cell disease. I think of Miles Davis, the great jazz musician. I think of Santonio Holmes of the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Super Bowl 2009, I believe. I think of many others who have had this disease of singing artists and others and who still have it. What's interesting is through screening, most of our sickle cell patients can do more in life if they get a head start with the knowledge of what their parents can know and what they can know. And that's the reason for screening is makes a big difference. And we do understand that in the, in the future, uh, uh, we are, we'll see our military will now be doing screenings. I know when I got married, Ronald, I do have the trait, but they before I, they can get my marriage license and so forth signed, they had my wife and I screened for it. My wife is Colombian from South America. They understood that it's not just a color disease. So as we hear and learn about you as the caregiver, and we know about you as the um sibling as the student coming up in high school and in grade school and middle school and now we also learn about you as the uncle and 
the um, the 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 the, the uh, sun, and we want to we want to learn a little bit more about you, Ronald, so we can get closer to this idea of what it means for you and your story, so our community can know better. So here we go, Ronald. I imagine these years of adolescence have come up, and you meet people of the opposite sex, be it in high school, grade school, as an, in adulthood. Has sickle cell disease interfered in any way with your relationships? And if they have, what type of things will they interfere with? Of course, appropriately said, things that are appropriate to mention right here. I would love to know more about that so our community can know this is real and it affects every part of our lives. Well, you know, I've had friends mm -hmm. with sickle cell mm -hmm. and, you know, as far as my, you know, I did, like I said before, I didn't allow anybody into my circle, you know, <laughs> that would really, I would really identify with, with okay. me letting them know what was going actually taking place with me. But then I've, I've had friends, you know, who I've had to lend an ear to and tell them, you know, when they would go into a relationship that they still would have to be careful because, you know, you up the chances when you procreate with somebody else and they don't know if they have a trait of sickle cell or not. Yeah, well, my question is more about, my question is more about has it interfered because of pain episodes where you have to tell the person you're dating that I'm sorry, I can't go on the weekend. I wanted to, but I'm not well, or they spend some of their time being a caregiver. Has it ever interfered with you having a no. ongoing relationship? No, because I didn't let them in. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. 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 Remember I told you I was the face of stigma. <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. Yes. <laughs> And that makes sense. And that, that itself is how it impacted you in relationships, that being the case, if you couldn't let people in because of, you know, the insecurity of knowing what that would mean for you or knowing that they'd have to say sorry, like the like jobs do, like the school systems, yeah. other places. So, yeah. wow, I get it. I think, so, I think it's more or less you being in such a vulnerable state that you can't do anything for yourself and you don't want people to look in on you and see you like that. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It, ha it has great meaning. You know, as, a, as a, um, a veteran who spent a lot of time in the hospitals, I know what it means when you lose a certain amount of dignity because you, all of you is everybody knows everything. And I, so I can truly understand that, Ronald. Uh, today... We're happy to certainly note that we're coming together as a community. And that brings us up to right before we get into our last segment, we're going to hear from a word from our sponsors, our sponsors who support sickle cell disease, and they're spending their time making sure that they are doing all they can to impact our community. And then again, the number one hereditary blood disease in our nation is sickle cell disease. What are you doing? I know that we're doing all we can, and it doesn't always take money. Sometimes it just takes you, bring you to the table. Once again, this is Dwayne Golden and Ronald Johnson. Again, this is Dwayne Golden and Ronald Johnson. We're here talking about this Ronald Johnson's story, his community story, about what it was like for him having sickle cell disease, what it is like for him, and letting us get a closer look under the microscope, which is not comfortable. We've heard him say it earlier that he didn't want to let people in. That, that disrupts your ability to keep and maintain gainful employment. It, it disrupts wanting to go through the full educational system because everybody's eyes are in. Everyone knows your vulnerabilities, and that can't be fun. But I did disclose that 
some some of the notoriable stars who are out there, such as Lorenz Tate, as you mentioned, Ronald, and uh, 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 the football players like Tiki Barber, and um, we have Miles Davis and others. We've talked about that, and you brought up something during the break, and I'd love for you to bring it up again about you not hearing much from them. I'd like to hear that because I think I I think. It's important for our community to understand what it's like for anyone, whether you're a superstar or not. Yeah. Tell what I was saying was, say. you know, you know, I don't think that, you know, they let you know that they have issues with sickle cell, but they really don't go into great depth and detail of what their lives were really like trying to maneuver through their careers, their professional careers um, and living with the disease. You know, and that's, I that's really important. I think it's important, but I think you've already stated it for us. You you told us, because if I'm not mistaken, you and I both were born before those people, with the exception of Miles Davis, but mm -hmm. perhaps they didn't want to let anybody in. If they tell their story too much, they don't get to where they are. They had to hide it. Like when you said you didn't, when you applied for that job and you didn't put you had sickle cell disease, I think it's important yeah. to note that they're human too, and the more people know the less opportunity they may get. And at the same time, the more judgment, or at least psychologically, they will feel that that's what's taking place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It, so it, it really it, you know, does. A guy says, I got sickle cell and disease. They are, they are in a and I got to go through crisis. Of... A guy says, I have sickle cell disease and I have to go through crisis. Maybe he doesn't get the phone call for the movie that someone wants him in. Right? Yeah. And maybe someone goes, That's you know, right. we're not going to invite this guy back for summer camp this year for football. We're trying to get a Super Bowl, and this guy gets sick a lot. Trust me. I think that that's a part of why we're here today, because the stories matter. Everyone can't tell their story, but because you can, we applaud you. We applaud the enthusiasm to be here and tell it so that you can make a difference when others aren't in position to do so. Ronald. It's interesting that the new story is that the 50s are the new 30s, right? <laughs> hey, all the good stuff's in front of you. And with that being said, where do you see it? Now, we know that advancement of medicine has taken us a long way. We've got some new drugs in the market, right? We've got some things. I've read some articles this week about... Um, uh, uh, Erxbrida having a role in reducing the amount of transfusions a person ha has. We've heard about the uh, the ability for it to reduce the pain crisis through different drugs that are out here. Let's talk about something that we didn't talk about. This is going to be uncomfortable for you because it means that you have to let people in and it doesn't feel fair, but if we're going to make a difference, we need to tell the story. My question is, have you had a stroke before and if you have how many of you had we want to talk about that for a minute because i don't think people realize the connection between sickle cell disease and the secondary and tertiary other disorders that will come with it um no i haven't had a stroke okay. but back in 2005 i've almost had a heart attack and you know i began to pray because i actually thought i was leaving here because i had been in a crisis that i've never had experienced before mm -hmm. and you know it, it kind of 
woke me up to a lot of things. And, you know, and I began to build a relationship with God for myself. You know, although I've been in church all my life and been stuck with every prayer cloth pin there was, <laughs> you know, I, I really, you can be in church, but not have a relationship with God. And so, you know, after realizing that there were so many death sentences and, you know, and somehow, you know, um, we suppress a lot of stuff that happens when we're younger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I go back to about being about eight or nine when they called the family around the hospital bed and told them that, you know, I wouldn't make it to grow up. I would I wouldn't see adulthood, you know, and I've had so many death sentences, you know, from the doctors and but God, but God, <laughs> that's yes. where I leave that at. But God, <laughs> I get it. Well, you know what? It's I'm excited to see your enthusiasm, enthusiasm around what you could do for the disease. I know that I've heard that, I believe I was told that you have been a board a board member for the last, what, six years? Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> you're doing what you can. You're telling your story. You're a, see, you're a community advocate. And these things are really important. Although we already mentioned yes. some others can't do those things, but you are, you've insisted upon doing it. And uh, on behalf of the council and our community, I'm wishing you well. And I'm grateful that you haven't had to go through the what it would mean to have a stroke. Or many, we, we know of clients and uh, friends and others who, since they were born, I mean, some before the age of five had already had multiple strokes. But there are other things that come along with this. And uh, my next question isn't around the idea of a stroke or a heart attack. Is Have you had to have any surgeries resulting from sickle cell disease? I, I was supposed to, but I re, I refused. I rebuked him in the name of Jesus, because <laughs> right now I'm suffering with um a, um avascular necrosis, mm -hmm. and that was diagnosed in 2014, mm -hmm. and where they wanted to give me a double hip replacement, and I refused it. But then you know I do have on stage kidney disease, you know. Um, Anything that any organ in the body is affected from the sickle cell disease because of the lack of oxygen in the blood not flowing. Right. So, you know. Yeah. And so if you're listening today, um, you hear words like avascular necrosis, which to, a norm, to the average person has no meaning, right? Just so you understand, avascular necrosis is a disorder where you have a limited blood supply to a specific part of the body. In this case, to his hips, which means the joints, the hips, they all of a sudden, without that blood supply and without that oxygen, the bone begins to die and becomes very brittle, which creates the challenges of more pain in crisis or out of crisis and the potential for a break, a break while walking, a break while when you and I would have a typical bump or fall could create that for Ronald. That's what it means. So I want you to get the impact of what it means of sickle cell disease. And he talks about uh, uh, on, uh, um, renal disease. What that means, of course, the the renal, the re, well, let me just go, the kidney, the kidneys take a beating, the spleen takes a beating, the different organs in your body with that limited blood supply doesn't give it as much life as you and others will have. And so that's why it's important. So even when you don't understand the name of what you're hearing, I'm trying to bring it closer so that you can know why everything you have will make a difference. There are many. Where I'm, I, uh, one of the interviews we have coming up during the month of April, a young lady who's been on the waiting list to get a bone marrow transplant. 
Her organs are taking such a beating. The only her survival is going to be based on getting a new bone marrow so that she can have that supply. But what that would mean is she still, watch this now, she would still have sickle cell disease. And unfortunately, that would mean that she's going to have to be on immunosuppressants the rest of her life because her body would defend itself. There are so many things around this, and you deserve to know the truth in our community. What you can do, if you have a neighbor who has sickle cell disease and they are of age, look in on them if they live alone. If you have a child, give them the extra care. If they need to take a moment, take a break. Don't push Boy Scout masters, coaches, um, teachers. Understand and listen together. We can create a dynamic community in which we can make a difference and be more like Ronald, one who insists on not allowing the disease to limit his involvement and limit his energy and excitement about doing something and being a difference. This is Dwayne Golden of the South Central PA Sickle Cell Council, along with today's special guest, Ronald Johnson. Ronald, thanks for being here. Uh, we want to send something out to you. We've got something special for you. I don't know if it's... I, we want to do something special for all of our guests. So, And we're going to do something also for anyone who's giving today. We're going to want you to go to our site and tell us. Go to our Facebook inbox or our Instagram inbox or LinkedIn and let us know what, if you've made a contribution. We're going to send you something very special. Hang on a moment, Ronald. I'm going to get something for you. On behalf of one of our sponsors, we're going to give you a kit. In this kit... We have a first aid kit. We have uh, disinfectant. We have 50 mask, thermometer, electronic thermometer. We have hand lotion, special toothbrush, specific uh, uh, um, sanitizing toothpaste for when you're traveling. There's so many things within this kit. We'll put you in front of where you, your next travels. We have uh, band-aids, many things that will come within this kit. This is something, in spite of COVID, that will put you in position for greater health and being who you are. Thank you again for being our guest. Thank you on behalf of our sponsors, on behalf of the Sickle Cell Council. This is Dwayne Golden and Ronald Johnson. God bless you. Thank you for <laughs> being here for our special webcast today. Take care.